Hello again, beautiful people. It's the Weekly Curio. I'm the Whip Theater's Tom Britton. And I'm College of Curiosity's Jeff Wagg. It's great to be back. We're going to start like we do every week with the puzzle. All right. By U.S. law, you are required to have something radioactive in your house. What is it? Our first story is on Nazi intrigue. This is something I'll never get tired of. It's World War II. It, it's as horrific as, as it is fascinating. It's, it's, there's something, I don't know what it is about this war, but when was the last good Korean war movie you saw? True. Uh, my wife gets on me about this. She'll, she'll kind of tease me about my fascination with the Civil War and World War mm-hmm. II. And I've often sort of my response was what I like about the war. And I don't even know much about the Pacific theater. Mm-hmm. I tend to focus on the German Italian side of the mm-hmm. coin, the allies, etc. Um, pick any one day, any single day. And I'll bet I could find three books on that one day. That <laughs> Probably were fa- true. There's all these crazy stories that keep yeah. coming out. Dogfights become a thing. Technology becomes a thing. No more is it just line people up and send them in the battle. The tank and the machine gun completely transform yeah. warfare. The most significant change that ever happened in human history. It does seem that way. You know, yes. World War One, you start to have the advent of the tank, but it isn't very good. Yeah. World it's War Two, the Germans get the English developed a tank. The Germans get really good tanks. And then the yep. English and the Americans have to catch up, and now it's an arms race of tanks. Previous to that, the what phalanx or whatever it's called, everybody line up and go. Right, all at once. Spear, right into the machine gun. Rock, sling, <laughs> yeah. gun, musket, machine gun. Changed that in World yeah. War One. It's, it's crazy. But you found a fun story. Stranded yeah, so U-boats. I, I just encountered this. So um, apparently on August 17th, 1945. Now this is this is before Admiral Byrd went down to the Antarctic. Uh, German U-boats 530 and U and uh, I'm sorry U530 and U977 surrendered in Argentina, which uh, you know why not? That's a good place to surrender. I mean, it seems to be Nazi paradise down there. And uh, these were a little bit strange, though. These U-boats had been coming up from Antarctica, and people are like, "Well, what the hell were they doing down there?" And it turns out that no one knows. The cr- these crews would not talk, even if the war's over. Everyone's like, yeah, whatever. Tell us what you're doing down there. And they were like, no, we're not telling you. And then these rumors started to happen that there were people on the subs that were masked and nobody could talk to them. So they didn't know each other or so they wouldn't be spotted by a plane uh, why, well why the so mask? so the passengers the of uh, the, the crew of the uh, u-boats wouldn't know who they oh, oh i'm sorry within the u-boat yeah. crew there was a subset that was masked right so now like this, an elite or whatever okay this is okay. what they're saying now at this point i do not doubt that these u-boats were coming from antarctica and that they surrendered in argentina that is believable now i have been in a u-boat and many people especially children in chicago have because chicago has a captured u-boat that you can actually go on and and tour and it's if you've ever been on an american submarine even a world war ii one the level of comfort the americans had was 10 times what the germans had there just isn't space on there to hide people. But uh, I've been on an American modern sub, and that level of comfort for an American modern sub is very low. Uh, yeah, well, I these things... I can imagine, you know, you hot cut, you know that yeah, phrase, yeah, yeah. you hot cut, you, yep. you don't have much space. Now, at least you have iPads. <laughs> right. You couldn't even take books. I heard an old story that the Navy, for the submariners, mm-hmm. always put the best chefs... Yeah, I've heard that, too. ...on that particular device, that particular vessel, 
Because it was the one thing you got. Right. Food. Good food. That Good was it. Good food. There you go. That's it. You can't carry very many books. You Videotapes didn't exist. CDs didn't exist. Yeah. You just sat around playing cards, and but at least you got to look forward to mess. Yeah. Even today, they have a space. They Basically, they have a drawer for their personal goods. It's only like, it's like two feet long and two inches deep. And uh, the Kindle, the greatest thing to ever happen. Now, imagine 10 Rangers. times less that. Right. Well, so I, on this German U-boat, there aren't things like that. They basically sling up hammocks wherever they can. There are two, so there's like a hundred men on these things. There's two bathrooms. They can't use one of them for the first half of the voyage because it's filled with food. They basically have to eat their way through to the second bathroom. That's insane. And there's no air conditioning. Even though they're underwater, the temperature in the submarine is like 80 degrees all the time. The men aren't wearing shirts or anything. No shower facilities. And you're sleeping on top of torpedoes. Anyway, Horrible circumstances, and these guys are going down to Antarctica. Why? And it turns out nobody knows. But we did find one thing the Nazis were doing that was crazy. Uh, it was up. If you ever in Ottawa, Ottawa, Canada has this amazing Canadian War Museum. Now, being the uh, stuck-up American that I am, and I was raised to be, I had always assumed that Canada was just this blank white space. Um, you know, up above America. If you, if you look at the maps we were America's given as kids. Hat. Yeah, it was America's hats. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, Canadians, but American children, at least of my era, weren't taught anything about Canada other than you guys were on the French side in the French and Indian War. That's about all we know about Canada. Well, when I go to Ottawa, I go to this war museum, I find this amazing high-tech museum, better than anything I've seen in Washington, about all the exploits of the Canadian military which I couldn't have named before I went there. One of the things on display is a weather station. It's an Arctic weather station. It's a, it looks like a bunch of cans and a bunch of antennas, and it's got a Canadian flag. And it had been known to be up there for decades. People would sail by it and see it and not think anything of it. And then one day the Canadian Weather Service said, hey, what the hell is that? And nobody knew, so they actually sent people out to look at it. It turns out it was a Nazi weather station. The Nazis were very, very interested in North Atlantic shipping, obviously. Yes. So one way to tell what the shipping is going to do is to be able to tell what the weather's going to be. Now, we can do that much better now. Yes. But the Germans in the 40s were figuring this out, how weather patterns would affect shipping. So they sent a weather station up there that communicated by radio back to ships in the area, German ships, who could then relay it, relay it back to Germany, and they could develop strategies based on the weather patterns. But they disguised it like a Canadian weather station, and it worked well after the war. It was called Operation Kurt. Uh, you can look it up. Uh, it's on Wikipedia or anywhere. A damn, there's a website called damninteresting.com. Great website with longer, interesting stories. They have an excellent article about this thing. And if you're ever in Ottawa, you can just go see it. It's, it, it's, it's kind of amazing. It's like out of a Clive Kustler book or something. But the Nazis actually did this. So I heard a story, and I don't. we couldn't find it on Google. We tried finding this. I don't know if it was the plot from a movie or if it was one of these things the Nazis had uh, on paper that they never got to. But I heard a story about an operation where they would send U-boats up up to the Arctic yeah. to break the ice, <laughs> break huge icebergs as big as you can. So those would then drift into the travel channels, the, the, or the channels that you would use for trade for the mm -hmm. ships, which would either sink a vessel or annoy a vessel or make them paranoid at night. Yeah. If you just sent this rain of icebergs down into the channel between America and England, 
the idea was to cripple during the Blitz to cripple England. It, you know, it does. It would not surprise me. The Germans were always about terror more than you know actually yes. killing people. I mean, they sent zeppelins over England in World War One, not to really do damage, although they certainly did. But just the whole city of London is in terror of these things flying in the air that nobody can shoot down. Now, I've read a couple books say that, you know. that that also their theory, these historians' theory, was England would have been very close to falling. Mm-hmm. Had America not come in, had Pearl Harbor not happened, all these events not precipitated, yeah. England might have actually lost and right. been and been captured. They were that they were that on the edge. They were that beaten up. Of course, their narrative is that they had already won the war and the Americans just came over to mop up. So, right. So it know. depends on the historian. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but you can see a German if they believed that, thinking, Matt, if we could just cut off that little trickle sure. of American goods between the two. That might be the straw that breaks the queen, the king's back. Yeah, know. and they did an admirable job. My my grandparents were both merchant uh, grandfathers were both merchant mariners, and I was talking to one one day, and he g- frequently would get on these convoys to go across, and one out of every two ships would not make it across. So, that's the fear. That's a wolf pack. That's yeah, part of what they absolutely. would do. They would, and that's one of the reasons we got involved when we did, and got annoyed when we did, is they were shooting. Uh, they claimed accidentally yeah. non-militarized vessels and, and sinking ships and cutting out. In America, we get mad when you mess with our money. <laughs> when you cut out our tourism, when you cut yeah. out our ocean liners, when you cut out our trade. That's kind of when we get involved in your bloody wars. Yep, that is true. And now we come to a segment I'm going to call Dueling Websites <laughs> from Sploid.com. Again, I have no idea where I get it's these It's not things. a good name. Yes. Floyd.com comes uh, NASA. New impossible engine works. Could change space travel forever. Not hyperbolic at all. You know, no. it's just a very state That's of the, the new link bait, right? Yeah, you won't believe what happens when NASA didn't believe what happened when you wouldn't believe it. From Ars Technica, a website I've actually heard of. And I found the link and I never heard of Sploid. I got no idea where I got that garbage from. Uh, Ars Technica. Don't buy stock in impossible space drives just yet. Okay, mark that off. The battle's on. Uh, There's a gentleman who claims to have found a new type of drive system. Now, very theoretical. So the fact that that someone from NASA would discover something that kind of barely works Hmm. is how they start everything. Absolutely. Kind of can teleport things. We kind of can transport things. We kind of can see things far away. And then it gets better. Uh, the way this would work, if it works, when you're in space, you have to put thrust against something. So you exchange yeah. mass for mass. You carry fuel, you burn it, the ions come out, and that pushes or you the forward. the hot gases or whatever. Hot gas, yeah, something. But mm-hmm. something has to be in there you're carrying with you, which is weight. Yeah. What if you could use the sun to drive? Now, solar wind is one idea, but what if yeah. you had a solar-powered engine and you could say space was made out of, of water, then you could just turn a rudder and propel or turn a propeller uh, mm-hmm. and propel through space. So this thing would collect electricity wherever it got it from. Mm-hmm. So let's say solar, but would use electricity, push out ions, just like thrust yep. would any other way, but they push against theoretical particles hmm. in space that quantum physics theorizes appear and disappear in space time. Okay. So they found a way to strike those, the claim is, and barely produce any thrust, which one is some really amazing evidence that these things, these particles it's bouncing against yeah. are actually we'll there. Start with the basics here. Do, Huge do they for exist? quantum <laughs> physicists. 
And then also, yeah, so now we amp that up, and 100 years from now, we have solar-powered spacecraft that yeah. eliminates a lot of weight. Now I can carry my water, I can carry my food, I can carry other people, whatever. Uh, space sex go- geckos, all kinds of all kinds <laughs> those of those poor geckos. Oh, those poor heroic geckos. I'm gonna make a patch <laughs> and wear it around for them for a week. Uh, a little black armband with a humping gecko on it. Uh, Google that if you have no idea why we're talking yes. about humping geckos in space. That'll be a fun link from sploit.com. <laughs> yeah. Have a good time. Uh, the problem is okay, I love backyard scientists, I do, and some great things have come from backyard mm-hmm. scientists and from almost amateurish professionals. Uh, However, <laughs> you got to watch your results when dealing with particle physics and quantum physics. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Even I know that, and I'm a juggler. <laughs> That's it, a lot of physics and juggling. Well, yes, but it's, it's almost all intuitive and instinctual. <laughs> I don't think I can plot the, the particular path of any one of my torches. Uh, not with any accuracy. <laughs> the scientist that they interview for Ars Technica, which I think is one of the guys on staff from the way the article reads, mm-hmm. which is one of their favorite nerds they go to, points out that... In the experiment, they've got two engines, one pushing against nothing, one pushing against what they believe is there, these Mm -hmm. particles, and both produced some thrust. Oops. Yeah, when you're control, it's kind of a control, sort of. That's the other thing, is it's kind of a control. It's kind of hard to simulate space on Earth, too. Yes. They can do it at NASA in one particular room, but it's hard. But anything can produce, if you're in, if you're trying to replicate space, a turning engine would produce movement would yeah. produce inertia anything it would you do something punch the air and you're going to do something mm-hmm. in space if you're floating there so when you're measuring small amounts of thrust see the problem yeah you got some from both and then you make a huge claim an impossible now that's so the, that's the that's headline the writer i don't know what the scientist in this case was actually claiming right because I can't find his paper. I can only find Sploit.com says. Yeah. In, in a lot of these cases, someone writes a paper and says, well, kind of, sort of, we think maybe there's a result here, but we want to do some more testing. And then the next day, the newspapers say, new force of physics, you know, discovered. Cancer cured for yeah. the 250th time. You and, won't believe number 21. <laughs> and, and then the next day. Somebody sees that, somebody who actually knows what they're talking about and says, no, this isn't true. And unfortunately, that gets put on the scientist, even though it should get put on the stupid media who came out with the hyperbolic headline to begin with. If you want to follow a fun Twitter that kind of busts this, follow Saved You a Click. Oh. (laughs) All they do is ruin the clickbait. Ah, I like it. You won't believe which Kardashian blah the blah. He retweets and he puts Kim. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Or a lot of times he'll put, they don't. <laughs> you know, which celebrity lost weight on a new fad diet? None. <laughs> and, it's called, and they hate them. You see them retweeting at this guy who's just trolling them. Yeah, it saves you a click. I think it's just at. You can That's play, pretty if you funny. find me on Twitter, I retweet them all the time because I find them hilarious. And I think the clickbait's a problem when you're trying to yeah. do the more nerdy stuff. I don't care about which Kardashians humping who now. Yeah, no, who cares? Great. But when I'm trying to actually find out, did we really have a small breakthrough in cancer research? Yeah, right. What's the story? We have them all the time. Did we really make a new seed bank and launch it to the moon? That's an interesting idea that might have happened. Mm-hmm. And they're clickbaiting me. And did, is, I'm, I'm, No, don't play with my science. And see, you and I would click on an article that said, we maybe think we could have discovered something here, but we need more testing. 
that would I'd click on that, but most people won't. They're like, yeah, whatever. And I think right now we're in pre-Star Trek television times. You know, Star yeah. Trek, the original series, wouldn't have been canceled had they been doing demographics at the time. Mm-hmm. That's probably so the true. audience they yeah. were getting wasn't large, but they were nerds with a yeah. ton of money. That's right. Single males, single females. Yep. Lots of money, good jobs. Advertisers wanted them during mm-hmm. the space race. Blah blah blah. I think clickbaiters are going to discover that we might maybe have possibly made a breakthrough in leukemia gets me to click. I'll read the whole article and I might actually buy a new car. Whereas my (laughs) 16 year old cousin who clicks on which Kardashians, butts the biggest number seven is my favorite. They're buying nothing. They have no money. So maybe that will hope it's got to die. It's a terrible fad. It's and like, we love hate it. It's, but reality shows have been on for 15 years now, and we love hate them too. Yeah, it's a problem. And so this affects me somewhat. So the College of Curiosity, I do other podcasts. I do the Daily Curio, and I do Oddments. So the Daily Curio is just a daily feature. And I used to make them long and in-depth, and they would actually have a lot of content. But that wasn't popular. So I changed the format. Now they're all 60 seconds long. One interesting thing every day that's 60 seconds long. And and I've got 10 times the traffic that I used to have, even though I have one-tenth the content. It's like we have this attention span that's like not long enough to support actual content anymore. And I wonder if you were able to track demographics. Um, I wonder if you would have regretted that. See, that's the thing. I don't know. It, it, one, of the, one of the problems, like with Star Trek... They, did you get 10 times more idiots? Like the oh, same probably. 10 smart people. No offense to anyone who listens. <laughs> well, these are the 10 smart people I'm talking about. They were listening to the 10 minute one, right? So they're still listening to the 60 second. So what you've gained is fluff and filler. Right. Now, I'm not selling anything. I'm right. not necessarily, I, you know, I don't have advertisers that I have to please. I'm just trying to, like, you know, get out there and have people enjoy stuff. So I'm actually fine with general interest people who aren't really interested in in-depth stuff. I have no problem with that. But it was interesting to me that it was much easier to get, say, a thousand clicks for a 60-second piece than it was for a 10-minute piece, even though, to me, the 10-minute piece was much more interesting. It's it's the, yeah, it's the long tail. I'm, gr- yeah. I'm glad I grew up in the year of the long tail also because I'm able to find podcasts like this two nerds rambling on mm-hmm. about clickbait for 10 minutes uh yeah <laughs> you know that, but that to me that's a lot of what i listen to you know i've listened to smodcast where it's two movie nerds yeah rambling about hockey which i don't give a damn about for 30 minutes right and i listened because i thought they were interesting well and you know we're not people aren't listening to us right now to get educated if you are let me point you somewhere else <laughs> 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 iTunes U would be a good place yeah. to start at the uh, very least. You know, because Tom and I aren't really experts on the stuff we're talking about. We just find it interesting, and we think you would too. So we're 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 here to say, hey, go check this stuff out. If you ever use us for a reference on an essay or a homework assignment or anything like that, you have done badly. But and you what what is below Wikipedia <laughs> in reliability like that? That's us. That's. Two dudes who I just half remembered a fact five minutes ago. Hey, I heard a thing about the Nazis (laughs) breaking icebergs. Someone's going to email me and be like, dude, that's that's live and let die. Yeah, what we're doing is the second act of James Bond. We're sitting around the living room with a beer. Actually, we've got Diet Coke, but it could be beer. And we're just the beer of nerds. Diet Coke. Yeah, and we're just talking about, hey, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. That's all we're trying to do. And, And there's nothing at all wrong with that in fact it's nice that for the first time ever we have a medium that's like that uh oh, we'd have to do this on what uhf at two right, in the morning exactly or public, public access. access 
Yeah. So and I got a I got a face for radio. I don't, I don't, wanna, <laughs> I don't wear want to wear makeup. <laughs> You're on the radio a lot these days. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's my clickbait version, right? Jeff Wag from CollegeofCuriosity.com almost died on a stranded island, and you won't believe what happened next. That's actually accurate, almost. Damn I mean, it! Okay, I didn't wait. almost die. Which Kardashian was on <laughs> an island with Jeff Wag? None. No, it was my son, Simon. Simon Kardashian? <laughs> no. I don't have no idea. His last name's Wag. He doesn't need any help with last names. Um <laughs> Yeah, so so this is actually a true story, although not Gilligan's Island, not exactly. But uh, Simon and I were down in Southwest Florida, and we decided to like go somewhere a little unusual. So we went down to Everglades City. This is this tiny little fishing village. They kind of cater to sport fishing folks. You know, you go rent a boat for the day. So we did. We rented a boat, and um, the guy was just supposed to take us out and tool around. There's a place down there called Ten Thousand Islands, and it's at least Ten Thousand Islands. So uh, we get to this big island. It's called Pavilion Key. And by big, it's not even a mile long. But, you know, it's uninhabited. And the guy, like, anchors the boat and sticks the anchor in the sand. And we walk around. And we're walking around this island. And uh, this is down in seashell country. And we're looking for seashells. And this guy picks up this thing. It looks like an old brick. And I'm like, what are you picking that trash up for? I thought he was just picking up trash. And he says, uh, oh, here's a piece of Calusa Indian pottery. And I'm like, Calusa have been extinct for 500 years. It's like, oh yeah, there's co- this island's covered with pottery. And it's sure enough, we walked around and we came back with this sack full of Calusa Indian pottery from this culture that drove the Spanish off for decades. That has no value? And that was, that's the interesting thing is I'm like, well, these, shouldn't we call somebody? It's like I mean, quoting uh, Indiana Jones, exactly. like it belongs in a museum. Absolutely. And uh, it turns out that um, the state of Florida actually did a whole bunch of excavations for Calusa artifacts, and they don't have room for any more. So it's a gray area now as to, are you supposed to take this stuff? Are you supposed to leave it? And I... It's, it's a quandary for me because I was thinking, hey, um, this is more valuable than something I should have. But at the same time, if I leave it on the beach, it's going to be sand. Yeah. So what? If a museum doesn't want it. Right. Do you leave it in situ or that's, do you become an amateur museum? That's the question. So I made the choice and you're free to disagree with me. It's like, well, I sort of do museum stuff as part of what I do. I'm going to make the best use of this stuff. And even at your worst, you are better at storing it than it would be outside. Sitting on the beach? Sitting on the beach, Rolling yeah. on the surf? Yeah. So so it's fascinating. That, and we spent so much time talking about that that we let time get away from us. And by the time we got back to the boat, the boat was no longer in the water. The boat was 10 feet up on the beach. The 3,000-pound boat that we weren't going to It move. might as well be a million miles on it the beach. Was, yeah. This boat could have been in, in Ohio. It, there was, it was a useless thing to, as a vehicle at that point. And so we were literally stranded on a desert island in a part of the 10,000 islands where nobody was. Uh, it, waving somebody down would have taken days. Now, smart people would realize, duh, it's just the tide. In seven hours, you're going to be able to get off of there. But even better than that, this dude was able to pick up his cell phone and actually get a signal and yeah, call for help. The modern age, yeah. But all right, so I am actually, I am able to say now, I was stranded on a desert island because I was. But it's a little bit stranger than that. So Pavilion Key, 
why do they call it pavilion key? What's a pavilion? So I, I go home and like I am, I start Googling the hell out of this. A pavilion is a temporary structure. That's all a pavilion is. So if you go to the circus and they have a pavilion, well, they take it down. There was a pavilion built on this island to hold kidnap victims by a pirate by the name of Gasparilla. I've heard that name. Gasparilla is the biggest pirate of the west coast of Florida. And he would go around and capture people, take them to this island, and then wait for ransom. And they'd hold them on this island. And that's where we were, just walking around, trapped there. So, you know, if you want clickbait headline stuff, I've got it now. Uh, You know, I was trapped on a desert island that was once a pirate stronghold filled with an ancient culture's artifacts. (laughs) It's all true. (laughs) That's it for this week's Weekly Curio. We hope you've been curioed, at, at least weekly, if, if not strongly. Uh, if you want to come see a theater show, hey, I own a theater. It's a We're cool on the theater. Edge. Thank you. Yeah, it's coming along nicely. I'm very mm-hmm. proud of it. It's on the edge of Chicago, near O'Hare, so if you're traveling through, WIP, W-I-P, WIPtheater.com. If you're the traveling type, you can go with Jeff yeah. on wild adventures and get stranded on desert islands. And yeah, <laughs> we're going to uh, let's see, we're going to the City Museum on uh, the Saturday, the twenty seventh in St. Louis, and we're going to go to Australia in April. And you can find out more about that at collegeofcuriosity.com. All that really need, uh, bleh, 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 bleh. all that we need to do now, man, this rum is strong. <laughs> all that we need to do now is leave you with the last half of the puzzle. So what thing is in your house that's required by the U.S. government that's also radioactive? And the answer is a smoke detector. It has a little bit of americium-241, which is a radioactive isotope that allows the detector to detect particles in the air. And it's completely harmless, so don't worry about it.